Oh, good morning. It's good to be uh, at Northview again for a really happy occasion. I'm kind of amazed when I look into the audience and I see so many people I've talked to or I know or we have years of history um, and, and you still like me or we're connected or we get your Christmas card. It's just great to be here. Uh, I bring you greetings where I've been most recently, Denver and also Salt Lake City. And of course, from Northview, Sister Church, kind of in the middle of Marietta, um, that's where my, my wife has a lot of responsibilities with children's ministry. Otherwise, she would have certainly have been with me today, Vicki. Anyway, I'm Douglas. So I'm going to give the message. Really happy to be able to speak to you. Um, I can just say I have, I have heard so many encouraging and positive things about the Northview Church, the Northview Fellowship. In fact, I don't think I've ever heard a complaint about the church or from one of your members. I mean, it must happen. I mean, I'm just not getting it, but... It's just like all good stuff. and It's been that way year after year after year. So I respect you. It's an honor uh, to be able, be able to be here with you. So it is uh, coming up to Christmas time. And if you look up there, yes, uh, it does say St. Nick. And you can't, no, you don't think this guy's going to be talking about Santa Claus, do you? Well, I'll let you answer that. But this is the story of Nicholas of Mira, a fourth century Christian leader who in time turned into St. Nick. And, of course, so many things associated with Christmas are based in fiction and tradition. I was standing at the back when the little kids were up there. When they were doing the animal thing, the brother I was with and I were thinking, are those supposed to be reindeer? You know, but in, you, so how, how do reindeer and baby Jesus get together? Of course, they, they weren't. They, they were other animals. But Christmas is a funky time because you've got 2,000 years of ideas and traditions, and some of them are, are, are very interesting. Anyway, uh, we're going to be talking about this man. By the way, does he look a little stocky to you? I was in the town where he lived. He was kind of stocky, and he did care for children. This is not the Nicholas in the Bible, Nicholas the deacon in Acts 6, nor is it a bad guy who founded the Nicolaitans in Revelation 2. But this is an actual, a real person, a real person. I want to talk to you about his life. Uh, I want to talk about who this man really was and, and what that could mean for us. Now, he was born in the late 3rd century, like 270, 280, in a place called Patara. And Patara is down here. What are you looking at? How many of you know what that is? And no, it's not an appendix or a gallbladder. This is a map. How many of you can tell what country that is if you have good geography? Today, yeah, it's Turkey. That's, and Turkey, this is called, the Romans called it Asia Minor. This is all actually Asia, except for 3%. And Istanbul, the coolest city in the world, is right where the two join. So Patra is where he was from, uh, just opposite here, uh, Lycia. And this guy, if you're, look, if you're interested in history and archaeology like me, join me on one of my tours, because I was actually at the place where Nicholas lived last year. I may be there again uh, next year. We'll just have to see. But it's amazing. I, I know some scholars who, who work in Turkey. I know two New Testament scholars. One lives in a biblical town, and the other one lives in the U.S., but he goes there all the time. In fact, I was just at an archaeological meeting for Turkey um, uh, two weeks ago. And you say, Turkey, Turkey, what is that? That was in November. This is Christmas. This is December. What's going on? Okay, I get that. 
Turkey is the Bible land after Israel. Like if you take all the countries in the region, Israel's number one, Turkey's number two by far. The majority of the Apostle Paul's work is in Turkey. We don't think of that because it's, that word doesn't appear in the Bible. So Nicholas's parents were well off. They had plenty of money. Of course, if your parents have money, that may or may not mean that you as their children get access to that money. Uh, but he was brought up pretty well, and he was an only child. And we know how that works when you're an only child. <laughs> but both of his parents died. You know, they had plagues then, as we have plagues sometimes even now. And both of his parents died in a plague, and uh, Nicholas was still young. He uh, was on his own now, and obviously he was rich. He had an uncle. His uncle lived in Patra, and he was the overseer of the church there. The way they did it there, you had a group of elders, and one of them, at that time, they would promote to be the overseer. In other words, the main guy. And his uncle took his nephew, Nicholas, under his wing. And apparently, he, he struck everyone he met as really impressive and a kind person. So this guy, yes, he was well off, but he, as he matured, he gave more and more to the needy. Uh, to children, and he became a leader who was greatly respected and went to Myra, that's it, M-Y-R-A, on the southern coast of Turkey, and that's where he lived almost his entire life. Okay, are you with me so far? Am I going too fast? I mean, I can definitely go a lot faster than this. Some of you know that, but okay. Let's talk about his life a bit more. So he, he became this leader. He lived in Myra until his death in 343. That's, we know when he died. We just don't know exactly when he was born. And initially, he was buried on an island uh, just around here, but, but later, um, his remains were moved. I, I, I'll share that later. But the, so the, the Italians said, this guy's really hot. We want his bones. This was a time when a lot of superstitions coming into the church, third and fourth century, big time, fifth century, and uh, people would say, if you have bones of one of these saints, then miracles can happen. Even better, you have his body or part of his body. So they, they, the Italians made a raid, and they took his body to Italy and put it in two different cities. Uh, yeah, that happens. And of course, sometimes this is just silly because you, you have some, some churches in Europe, you know, that they, they have the head of John the Baptist. And this church, they also have the head of John the Baptist. And they have the head of John the Baptist. I mean, how many heads can there be, right? Knuckle bones, there are more of those, but heads were a prize. So in Mira, his home, he lived for decades. Lots of adventure, but also hardship and spiritual growth. And uh, this great man of God uh, experienced and gave so much uh, before the time uh, he died. So he was small. I'll tell you how I know that in a little bit. When I say small, I don't mean to look down on you if you're only 4'11 or 5 feet, but that's about how tall he was. He also had a, a, a broken nose, like a caved-in nose, really broken. I, we'll talk about how that happened, too. He was little. He wasn't the paragon of uh, handsomeness like Jim Lenahan, but he was small in stature but big in impact, and that's why I thought at this Christmas season, this would be a good thing to talk about. You see, his bones were discovered, and they've been looked at, and that's how we know uh, something about his appearance. You can see some of the bones right there, and some more here, right? 
Okay. Let's talk about his life and even some of the legendary material, then we'll get back to the good stuff. He was really respected for how much help he gave to people, especially if people were struggling to make ends meet, he's, he would be known for like tossing a bag of gold through their window or even down their chimney. Now, can you imagine you're having tr trouble making ends meet and in the middle of the night you hear a clinking sound, and it's a bag and there's some gold coins in there? Anonymous gift? Yeah, pray for that, right. Uh, <laughs> don't freeze yourself when you open your window tonight. But this is a guy who helped women to get married. To get married, the, the father uh, needed to have some money. There was a dowry. And then on the other side, they had a bride price. Getting married was always expensive, and it, you invested yourself. And, and some girls came from families so poor, it wasn't likely they're going to get married or not get married to anyone good. Like, oh, the good ones are all chosen already. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a similar kind of a dynamic then, and he helped people uh, actually to be, uh, to, to make it. He, uh, so many things I could say. He helped sailors in a storm, and that's why St. Nick is a patron saint of sailors. He's also the patron saint of thieves. Patron saint means that's like the father saint, the one, the chief one they pray to. Not thieves, like help my robbery to go flawlessly, no hitch or glitch. <laughs> Although actually... A few hundred years later, that was happening. In the medieval church, you had people taking communion because they believed it would help them in their robberies. And people actually thought God would, because they viewed God as power. And, and it, you know, it's all, you give him something, he gives you something. That's basically the, the total pagan, the heathen approach to God. But let's say he's the, the patron saint of uh, repentant thieves. One legend tells how during a terrible famine, famine a butcher did a really bad thing. I put it up here, if you can read that. He lured some children, three children, into his home. After he killed them, he put them in a barrel with salt water, with brine, to pickle them, because they'd last longer that way. But he was going to deceive his customers and say that it was ham. St. Nick was visiting the region to care for the hungry, and he figured out what was actually going on. And there are two stories. One legend is that he resurrected them. The other is that he, he spoke to them. We can talk about that. If you can stand me reading a little poem. Three little children sought the plain, gleaners of the golden grain. They lingered past the angel song, and dewy shadows swept along. Mid the silence of the wood, the butcher's lonely cottage stood. Butcher, lodge us for the night, lodge us till the morning light. Enter in, ye children small, I can find a place for all. The butcher seized a knife straightway, and did the little creatures slay. He put them in a tub of brine in pieces small as they were swine. And, and there, there, there's art for the Middle Ages uh, describing that here. This is uh, Nicholas helping them to get out after they've been in the, the barrel for seven years. Nicholas, seven years end, his way to the forest did he wend. He sought the butcher's cottage, drear. Butcher, I would rest me here. Enter, enter, St. Nicholas. You are welcome, St. Nicholas. Enter, enter, St. Nicholas. There's a place for you, the night to pass. Scarce had the saint his entrance made, he would the supper board was laid. Will you have a, of ham a slice? Says the butcher offering St. Nicholas a slice of ham, which we know is not ham. I will not, for it is not nice. Of this veal you'll take a bit. No, I do not relish it. Give me of the little swine, for seven long years hath lain in brine. 
The butcher caught the words, he said, and forthwith from the portal fled. Butcher, butcher, do not flee. Repent, and God will pardon thee. St. Nicholas, the tub drew near, and lo, he placed three fingers there. The first one said, I sweetly rest. The second said, I too am blessed. The third replied, tis well with me. In paradise I seem to be. That's one of the best-known stories here, how he saves those three kids who were, who were pickled in brine for seven years. Now, do I think that that happened? Do I think there's the slightest chance that it happened? No. Now, the stuff about throwing money through a window, that's a lot more believable. And his care for children, and kind of like Francis of Assisi, a guy who realized that uh, he didn't really need the wealth, he could help other people. Now we get to a more serious time in his life. He's imprisoned in the persecution of Diocletian. Diocletian is the last persecuting Roman emperor. There's one more later, but this is until Christianity was legal. That's a face of Diocletian. I've got a coin from his time in my coin collection. If you come to my house, I'll show you. I've got lots of coins from the 4th century all the way back to the 4th century B.C. And in this, the worst of all persecutions, you know, the Romans persecuted the Christians on and off in the 2nd and 3rd century. In the 1st century, not so much. Uh, but in the 4th century, this was the worst. And they attacked buildings. They didn't actually make church buildings then. Uh, they converted homes. They knocked out a wall, added a baptistry. And there, there you go, church building. Uh, they were attacking those. They were attaching the overseer, the overseer, was called the bishop, and they were burning Bibles. So this was a, a really bad one. And here's a really famous painting you may have seen. People like, like it uh, for their books, The Christian Martyr's Last Prayer. You can see the Christians having a prayer uh, before uh, they're going to be killed in some arena somewhere. So what happened during this incredibly intense time? Well, as with all persecutions, being persecuted didn't mean you were killed. Well, there are lots of ways to persecute people without killing them. Those who maintained the faith were called confessors. That is, they confessed, they did not denounce Jesus, and, and even if they weren't killed, they were called confessors. Now, this is a, something that Jesus said in Matthew 10. Acknowledge me before others, I'll acknowledge you, right, before my Father in heaven. Deny me. Uh, whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. So let's say there really was a time where it's illegal to be a Christian and it's really rough. You can't say, oh, I kind of caved in and I, you know, I, 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 I kind of faltered in my faith, but I, wanna, I think I want to come back now because that's really suspicious. It's not that the church never accepted people back, but not very easily because Jesus was pretty clear, if you back down, if you, if you deny me, I'll deny you. We have a familiar passage in Revelation, which is certainly very inspiring. Revelation, uh, written a couple hundred years earlier, they have conquered him, that is the evil one, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not cling to life even in the face of death. And then we have this, uh, just one more uh, uh, screen of, of scriptures. Jesus is called the faithful witness. Witness in Greek is martus. Martyrs, the plural is martyrs. You are holding fast to my name. Do not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my martyrs, my faithful one who was killed among you. So you have confessors and you have witnesses. People who bear witness by dying are called martyrs. Okay, so this is where that comes from. A martyr is a witness. Nick was not, Nicholas was not 
a martyr. He bore witness for sure, but they didn't kill him. They just caved in his face. But he was a confessor. He went to prison. We don't know how many years he was imprisoned, but very possibly up to 10, because the persecution lasted quite a while. Okay, does that make sense? Confessor, martyr. Martyr is the one who dies. The confessor gets roughed up and maybe goes to jail, right? Now, once he was released, finally, because in 313, now it's okay to be a Christian. When he's released, he goes to Israel. He uh, lives in a cave overlooking Bethlehem. This area is full of caves. I know because I was there a few weeks ago. They're everywhere, thousands and thousands of caves. And he spent time with other people in fellowship. And he also went to the Council of Nicaea, where the emperor uh, was presiding. This simply means that he was kind of a high-up leader representing um, Mira, and probably more than just that. This is probably the best he ever looked after getting roughed up by the Roman soldiers. So let's, let's ignore the legends. Let's talk about his legacy. What do we know? What has he left us? Well, in person, Nicholas is remembered as someone kind to the poor. Ah, do we give money to the poor? Do we give money to the poor in our own church? Do we support people? Probably you do. But is it enough that you'd be remembered? Oh, yeah, she was doing that all the time. Um, unless you just happen to line up all the people my wife and I helped, you would never get the impression that that's what we do all the time. I mean, you can make a case. So we, we give in benevolence, but it seems that with Nicholas, this was more of a lifestyle. And then I wonder, well, why shouldn't I be like Nicholas? Why shouldn't I? Live in the richest country, right? In terms of popularity, he's known all over the world, especially um, respected in Greece and Russia, and he even has his own day. Now, I'm not into saints' days because biblically, Ephesians 1.1, you're a saint, I'm a saint. If you're not a saint, you're not a Christian, I'll pray for you. But if you're a Christian, you're a saint. A saint is someone who's on the narrow road, someone who's trying to live the right way. But in the Middle Ages, people got confused. And they, they, so they said, well, let's just applaud for St. Nicholas and St. Elmo and St. Catherine instead of actually living as saints ourselves. Always easier just to compliment someone else. Um, his influence in construction, because thousands of church buildings have been named after him, dedicated to him. There was one in Mira, where I was, um, for like $12 you can get in and, and look inside. But it didn't seem like it had a lot. A part of his physical legacy, his forensic legacy, his bones, which, as I mentioned, were moved uh, to Italy, to Bari, and some fragments to Venice. In 1993, that's when the scientific study of his burial place took place, and they realized this is the same body. This is quite common with saints, because these things get divided, like uh, jealous children at the reading of a will or something, and the estate is scattered to the four winds. You're trying to put it together. His legacy of boldness is what hits me the most, though. We remember Nicholas for his courage. Courage to go against the flow and not define himself as rich guy, but actually to do something with his money. And his courage in the worst, by far the worst persecution of all Christians, not to back down, even though it meant he went to prison, even though he meant that he suffered physically. And we remember him for his courage, and we should. Now, there's some other less, uh, more frivolous stuff. Like in Holland, he's Santa Claus, right? That's St. Nicholas, and that becomes Santa Claus. And all the things that we celebrate um, 
have a reason, from the Christmas trees to the reindeer. But I don't have time to get into all that right now because I need to conclude because we have food on the way. <laughs> okay. So let's put it all together here. We can believe some, but not all, of the record about St. Nick. I hope that makes sense. Just because some of it is jazzed up doesn't mean that he never lived or he, he wasn't a good guy. You know, there's a seed. There's something that, that caused these, uh, these impressions uh, to become strong. We can believe some. We can be, I think, most confident of his character, the kind of person he was. And yet the case for Jesus, you know, with Jesus, there's no jazzing up. He didn't live in the Middle Ages. There were eyewitnesses alive who would have corrected people if the miracles weren't really done. In the case of Jesus, we know what he said. Uh, we don't have his body being divvied up among different cities because he rose from the dead in a resurrection body. That would never happen. And I'm grateful because in Christ, I'm able to believe fully what the Bible says. But that doesn't mean I can't learn something from church history or from people who lived later on, like Nicholas of Myra, who, of course, if you haven't figured out, that is, uh, that is Santa Claus. Think about these words. Uh, let him challenge you. I hope you let him challenge you as I let him challenge me. God bless you, and thank you so much for the opportunity to share these thoughts on an important historical personage, an important Christian leader, Nicholas.